This Blitz podcast is brought to you by Bravado Wireless. Available online at bravadowireless.com. John Harris joining us now here on the Blitz 1170. What is up, John? How are you doing today, my man? Oh, JP, I'm trying to get away from it, man. I'm trying to get like 24 hours of peace and quiet before <laughs> the uh, chaos of tomorrow, and that is just it is just not happening, man. It's just there's one thing after the next. Um, I wish we had a really good football team, so we were picking in the 20s and not at number two where things seem to be changing by the minute. Um, and yet, and yet, nothing is coming from this building. People are just trying to dot I's and, cro- you know, or, or, you know, connect the dots, if you will, this and then this and then. It, it's just, it's made it uh, a maddening last probably month or so. Uh, so I'm ready to get this draft baby out and start getting it uh, to life. So along with no, without any information that's coming out and people grasping at straws everywhere at this time because of the lack of true info that's out, what are your opinions on what should happen at two for the Texans and what you think will happen? What I think should happen, what I'd really like to see happen, because I, Jeremy, don't think the Texans love these quarterbacks outside of Bryce Young. Mm-hmm. I feel like... Bryce has been their guy. And I don't think the Texans are alone in that. I think the, the, there are, you know, these teams look at these other quarterbacks as, as flawed in some way. Now, CJ Stroud is a guy that, you know, brings up a lot of discussion here in Houston because for a long time, people didn't want to get on board with Stroud. And then I kept banging the table saying, look, man, you got to watch this guy throw the football. And so that got some people on board, but then all of a sudden you started hearing things about S2 cognition tests and, oh, well, maybe he's hard to work with, and and I don't know. I just don't get there. And then, of course, C.J. Stroud, David Mulligetta angle, and if you don't understand what that one is, Deshaun Watson's agent was David Mulligetta. Some people think that Mulligetta was behind the, and behind the scenes pulling the strings on Deshaun, and who knows what that left over. I don't think that has that much of anything to do with this, but I do think that it's you got to consider everything when you're drafting at number two. So ultimately, I don't think the Texans – love any of these other quarterbacks enough that you would say, yeah, let's make him the number two pick because you're selling for the number two quarterback at that point. So you're going to love that. But could you get an edge player that is elite, whether it's Tyree Wilson and his 37-inch arms, whether it's Will Anderson, the most decorated player in college football, could you get one of those guys? Yes, absolutely you could. But to me, I think you could get one of those guys and trade down. The problem is, you have to have a team that dances with you. And I've been struggling, struggling for a team that would dance with the Texans at that point. And then I read something probably about an hour ago. And I was actually, Jeremy, my last mock draft was done. Trying to trade down for the Texans, finding a way. And then I read that Philadelphia yes. interested in one of those big defensive ends. And yep. I thought, there it is. That's the move. Trade down with Philly. 10 and 30, and then you got to move from 10 back up. Go ahead. Call Seattle at that point. Like, hey, look, Pete, John, we've got Philly on the line. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we want to do. If we get to 10, how about this deal to get us up to five? I think the Seahawks would like to move too. They could, you know, they don't have to stay at five. Um, they could probably get uh, an edge rusher. They could probably get an interior player uh, down at 10. That would be obviously pulling off two moves in the top 10, but – the Texans have been working on those moves to try and find what they could do. If they've got to sit and stay, I think it ends up being Anderson or Wilson. And I'd lean Anderson because 
the injury history of Tyree Wilson yep. does present an issue. We just had a doc on last hour that we were talking about the the, the Liz Franck injury. Uh, and and what type of complications that that could lead forward for Tyree. And you kind of answered my question. You lean more towards Will Anderson over over Tyree at this point. Well, here's another thing, Jeremy, too. And I think not that previous draft should dictate what you do in this draft and all that kind of stuff. But if the Texans were to go Tyree Wilson at two, that would be the second year in a row that they would have taken a top three pick that had two season-ending injuries in college. They took Derek Stingley at number three last year. They would have taken Tyree Wilson this year. And with Derek Stingley, his rookie year, I mean, I know it's one year, and I think Sting's going to be fine. But still thing, he only played nine games. So he's got a hamstring. Whereas it was a foot and an ankle back in college, now it's a hamstring. And, uh, you know, now there's some other complications in that with Sting, but that's, you know, but there's your point. Like, if I'm ownership, I'm saying, look, I get it. I understand. I can look at Tyree Wilson, and I – I saw Tyree Wilson in 21, Jeremy, at the, the kickoff game in Houston against University of Houston. And I remember standing next to Chris Level, my guy, sideline reporter for Texas Tech, and I looked over at Chris when, when Tyree won the game. And I didn't say, who is that? I turned to him and said, what is that? Because I haven't seen somebody like that. That's a different human being yep. right there. And, but you could tell he was raw. Um, he was playing inside. I just felt like, you know, in 21, there was more to prove. In 22, he proved it. Um, and I think the Texans would love to have him, but that injury history is, is just – it's scary. It really is scary. And then you got Will Anderson Jr. You know, he's got those alpha qualities. You know, he is a captain uh, and then some. He's that guy that I think is a rookie would start showing that leadership that I think our organization and team needs. And defensively, I think if you put him out on the edge – and you let him live on the edge. You don't move around inside to a four-eye in different fronts. You loop him, you stun him, you move him, you scheme for him. I think Will Anderson can give you uh, what you're looking for from an edge. So, to me, I've heard somebody say this. And I don't, the more I've thought about it, I'm not totally sure I agree. But so, Will Anderson is a solid double in the gap, whereas Tyree is a shot for the fences. Well, I think I'd much rather have a double, and I think Anderson is more than that. I think he is a guaranteed double or triple or Tyree with that injury history. You just don't know. Sometimes you take a guy and it works out, man, it works out perfectly. And sometimes you take one and it, the same thing happens year after year after year. And we've had that too often. Will Fuller to Devion Clowney, Stingley last year. You got to take somebody in the first round. You know, 16, 17 games is going to be there and available. I think Will Anderson Jr. will be that guy. John, why do I get the sense that some of these offensive tackles are going to go higher, and once one comes off the board, we're going to see that typical run? Do you get that same sense that we're, yep. we're going to see some of these guys go higher than what they were originally projected? Absolutely. Uh, I think that is, that is a very real situation happening. In fact, as I looked at my mock, even before I kind of made that deal with the Texans, the first one that I had was Tennessee moving up to eight. Now, there's been a lot of talk about Tennessee and quarterbacks. But I think Ryan Tannehill is going to be the starting quarterback for this year. And if Tennessee is thinking about the future at quarterback, I would think they're probably not sold on quarterbacks this year. But if they're moving up, the thought being, we get up to number eight, we got to get in front of the Bears because the Bears are going to be at least one of the teams that takes a tackle. And so we want to get up there to get a tackle. Now, I think the Cardinals, either the Texans or the Cardinals, are straight out of that spot. If the Cardinals can't get out because the Texans were able to make that trade and the Cardinals can't find a trade partner, 
I think they stay and take a tackle. I've gone back and forth on, on you know, which edge rusher would it be. And then I thought, you know what? Their offensive line. I've hated it for a while. Paris Johnson Jr. from Ohio State. And it was just that day. It was funny because I started thinking about it. And then I saw a note about Kyler Murray has been banging the table for, um, for Paris Johnson Jr. I don't know if he's the guy. I actually have Broderick Jones in my highest rate tackle. But I could see Paris Johnson Jr. going three. And now the Titans are like, look, if we stay at 11, we more than, we're going to get the third best. Ta- uh-uh. We're going to go up and get a guy in front of the Bears. Uh, and they're going to go get Peter Skronsky, who could play guard, who I think should play guard. But I think he's going to be, you know, he's going to be the next Zach Martin, Joe Tooney, you know, Quentin Nelson, all that somehow combined into one for the Titans. And they need help at guard in a big way. Big way. And he can also play tackle if you want to move him out the right tackle too. So I think the Titans kick that off after the Cardinals take Paris Johnson Jr. Roger Jones goes. Darnell Wright goes to the Steelers. I think Anton Harrison can get in the back end of that first round, potentially with the Bills. Um, but I have the Bills trading out of the first round. But if the Bills stick and stay, I think it's a very real thought. Anton Harrison could go there. Um, there's a chance you're going to see more tackles go in this first round than maybe um, maybe we expected or maybe should go. I don't love this class. I really liked last year's class. Yeah. You know, Evan Neal didn't really pan out. But I really think there's depth in this tackle class, up and down. And whether you want to take Skaronsky moving to guard and take Cody Mock from NDSU moving to guard, Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse moving to guard, doesn't matter. Those guys all have tackle abilities that if a team takes them, and they can, they can examine it like, all right, do we want to put him at tackle or guard? Smith got drafted in the second round by the Colts in 2018. Oh, he's going to guard, he's going to guard. Well, I'm still waiting for that dude to move to guard because he's yeah. kicking our butt on the outside of the tackle since he's gotten there. So you draft the guy thinking, well, we'll move him, and then you get him there, no, no, we're going to leave him here at tackle. So – I think there are a lot of tackle prospects. There are also a lot of guard tackle combo prospects in this draft, which makes it really interesting. But I think there's going to be a run on tackles. And I think it could push the receivers down a little bit. And I think it could push any other position down a little bit. The fact that it's a priority position like tackle that teams have got to go get one, whether it's left or right side. What kind of stands out to you about the the class in general, John, as John Harris joins us here, Houston, Texas, footballtakeover.com. Check out all of his work right now. Uh, what stands out to you the most about the class? Because I think there are a few things, you know, that, that 510 number about Bryce always gets thrown out there. But I look at the receiver class as a whole, and it's a bunch of guys that are kind of almost the same frame. There's a few outliers on that, but there's a bunch in terms of quality of depth of guys that are the same size. What what other correlations of the draft do you do you see in the class in general? I think, I think corner's tremendous. I think tight end is top-heavy. I think the first four now, it depends on what Darnell Washington's medicals are, because apparently his medicals didn't turn out great. Um, and there's some other concerns, apparently. But top four tight ends are super. I think the corners from one to 300 are tremendous in this draft. Now, I will say, I don't think there's a Pat Sertan. I don't think there's a Jalen Ramsey. Mm-hmm. But I do, I love Christian Gonzalez over Devin Witherspoon, because I'll take height, weight, speed. I've learned to kind of go in that direction as long as the guy can play. I think Christian Gonzalez is a better overall cover guy than Witherspoon is. I think people get enamored with Witherspoon because he hits, he's physical, he's, you know, really, really nasty cover-wise. You get nailed for penalties with that stuff. And plus, he's 180 pounds. The rest of these corners in this group are long and big. Uh, Deontay Banks, I love from Maryland. In fact, I like Banks uh, from Maryland over uh, Witherspoon. So, I think corners and tight ends are the two classes you go, oh, yeah. There's, there's some good stuff here. Wide receiver is interesting because 
I think there are some big-bodied guys. Quentin Johnston would be one. But then there are some that you try and – like Jordan Addison, you would think, would be an X. But he's 173 pounds. But you can move him. You can slide him inside, outside. I mean, he runs routes better than anybody in this draft. So I like some of those guys. I don't know if I love anybody at the receiver group mm-hmm. other than Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, I, I love that guy in 21. And when you play 22, you're like, all right, is this a Nick Bosa thing? Is, is this injury legit? Uh, and then he worked out the combine. You're like, okay, um, he's fine. And he was number eight for me in the Harris Hart going into the season. So I dinged him a little bit for not playing in the season, but I still have him as number, my number one receiver. I love him in Houston. I know Green Bay loves JSN. But I think the receiver group, to me, as a whole, I think it's really good in the slot. I think when you have Tank Dell from Houston, you have Josh Downs from North Carolina, uh, Zay Flowers, who I just I love. I think you've got those type players in the slot, and I think they can be dynamic. You've got Jaden Reed from Michigan State. And the thing I like about all those guys is the way that the NFL has finally learned what college has learned a long time ago. Put those really fast guys in the slot, especially when you face quarters, and run them on slot fades, and they'll run right by the safety. They have yep. to cover them basically one-on-one. So you can get all those guys. They're all deep threats, and they don't have to be just Julian Edelman, like in, you know, all those little you know, whip routes and juke routes and, and crossers and all that. You don't have to work the trash. You can let them just go deep a lot and they will end up creating big plays for you in that way. So I hope those guys end up going to places where offense is not a maximizer. And I would love to see one in Houston. Now we got to figure out in Houston if John Mechie is available and if he is, if he's not. But I think Mechie can play on the outside too. So it's not going to preclude me from taking a JSN or looking at Tank Dell or taking Zay Flowers or Josh Downs, anybody like that. The guy that I really would like to see in Houston, because I think you can use him in a spot, I think you could also isolate him in certain situations as the X, and that's Marvin Mims. And you should know that from Oklahoma. Yes. I would love to see Marvin Mims with Houston because the one thing I think we are seriously lacking, Mechie's a tough grinder, interior, inside passer game. Nico's a big, you know, going to moss a DB, Nico Collins. Robert Woods is up there in age a little bit. He's still got some wheels, but he's more kind of a possession guy now. Where is our speed at receiver? Well, you put Marvin Mims in there, now we're talking. Now we can absolutely fly, and he's going to put a hurting on people down the field. What makes him different from a guy like Will Fuller, who we had, is I think Mims has got great ball skills, better hands, and the ability to make more plays down the field if somebody is in phase with him. Fuller wasn't going to do that, but Fuller ran by everybody. I don't think Mims is quite that fast. Nobody I've ever seen is that fast as Will Fuller, but I think Mims can make more plays. So I would love to see. Marvin Mims here in Houston. He would be the perfect fit for the Texans. If they could somehow move around and get some pick in the late 40s, early 50s, Mims would be the perfect guy to come to Houston. Uh, I'll ask you about a guy that you got to see in your your city, and I saw him a couple times as well. Um, Penny, for your thoughts on Nathaniel Dell out of Houston. I know the Niners had him in on a top 30 visit, and I and I started salivating at the thought of him and Kyle's offense a little bit more, and that's just me being selfish. Uh, but you got to see that dude, and there is nothing like a guy that is just outstanding in almost everything that he does. He's so quick, super exciting. You just find ways to get him the ball. So in that same game, in the kickoff game I was talking about earlier, Texas Tech against Houston, I'm standing in the back of the end zone. And I've, I've known Dana Holgerson for a couple decades, and so Dana and I are talking, and, and receivers are kind of working in the end zone. And I see Marcus Jones, who's now with the Patriots, and I like him. And 
Then I see this rail-thin, looks like an elementary school kid. I mean, I'm not joking. He looks like he came straight out of fifth-grade recess. And he runs by us, and Dana hits me and goes, electric player I've ever coached. I looked at him. I was like, man, shut up. I mean, cause I, I mean Dana's messing with me. Like, he goes, I'm not joking. Goes, Watch. <laughs> that guy right there will put this entire building – uh, it, it, he's a power grid of electricity. I'm like, all right. First drive of the game, he runs a post route. He catches the football, and I'm like, what? I'm like, who's this? And, I mean, Jeremy, he's a 12-year-old. Yes. In tank is smaller yep. than that 12-year-old. And yet, he's cooking everybody. So, we went to the Senior Bowl. And first day, I'm down on the field for practice, and I've been talking to, to uh, Charles London, who was the OC at the Senior Bowl. He's now the uh, passing coordinator at Tennessee Titans. He's been with the Texans, and so I've known him pretty well. And so I'm asking him about, you know, prospects. And so he's telling me about this guy and that guy. And he goes, he goes hey, now, Tank? He goes, I'm going to throw him a quick screen in the first play of the game. And he goes, He's he is sweet. And I was like, yeah, he is. So we go out and we watch the wide receiver route, and he – I swear he's cooking everybody. So I'll, I'll leave the DB nameless. So he puts on a DB. It's a safety. And you could just see the fear. And Dell just gets up on him, shakes him. And I swear to God, the defensive back just guessed. He guessed that Dell was going inside. So he ran inside. And Dell went outside and was wide open. And it was one of those things, you know, like you're playing pickup ball. You know, and somebody's, you know, ankles get broken and everybody's running around like, ooh, did you see that? I mean, the whole place just went nuts. And he did – he cooked everybody. I don't remember anybody staying with Tank Dell except for one guy um, who I think is criminally underrated as a safety, Shamari Connor from Virginia Tech. Dell worked every one of them. He moved – literally moved at a faster rate than everybody on the field. And it felt like you were watching, you know, old records. You know, there was 45 RPM and 78 RPM. <laughs> I feel like everybody was at 45, and he was at 78. It's like, why can nobody run at the same pace as him? He's electric. I, if he goes out to San Francisco or Kansas City, I'm just going to quit. I'm just, <laughs> just going to quit. Man. Forget it's, that. It's dude. not fair. When I, Patrick, when I saw Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes was throwing uh, routes this week uh, to uh, Zay Flowers from Boston College. I was like, please, God, no. And he ends up with Zay Flowers. I mean, if Zay Flowers and Kadarius Tony and Travis Kelsey are catching passes from Patrick Mahomes, he may complete 90% of his passes. I mean, there would be no way to cover any of those guys. None of them. So I'm hoping that uh, Tank Dell either ends up in Houston or he ends up somewhere where some coach doesn't know how to use him. Uh, so he doesn't, you know, it's a nuclear weapon that doesn't go off. But uh, knowing my luck, Tank Dell will end up in Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence will throw to him like 12 times a game. <laughs> All right, so, John, tell me a couple of guys that aren't necessarily in the everyday conversations that you absolutely love. Now, one of the guys I love the most that, I mean, is in those conversations, I don't know, there's such a throwback nature to the physical style of Sam Laporta. I freaking love that dude so much. But he gets talked about a lot. But who are a few guys that you can rattle off that you absolutely love that do not get the and haven't been getting the props that they deserve? Man, I can start with the two-lane duo of Tajay Spears at running back and Dorian Williams at linebacker. I mean, I, I love those two guys. I mean, Spears is special. I, I just 
I just don't think he's got enough love. I mean, I, I've got him in the middle of the second round. I think he's probably even better than that. I just think he has been in, so dynamic with the football and tough. I mean, down the stretch of the AAC, they had to go beat Cincinnati at Cincinnati to get in the AAC final. He carries it like 35 times. Then they go play at UCF in the final. He carries it like 22 times. He scores three touchdowns. Then they get in the bowl game against USC, carried it like 40 times. I mean, he's 5'11", 180. And they're just, they keep hammering him. And he just keeps responding. And nobody had an answer for him. Nobody. And at the Senior Bowl, nobody did. And I love Dorian Williams, a linebacker, too, from out of Tulane. I think the Tulane duo uh, is completely way, way underrated. Um, so if underrated is the right way of saying this, because he put together one of the best combines ever. Uh, and that's Zach Kuntz from Old Dominion. Yeah. Seeing him in the summer last year, I'm like, this guy's really, he's really a receiver. So as I'm getting my draft stuff together, I've seen a few games. I'm like, okay, I've seen a few games. I always go to YouTube. YouTube's always got some nugget that you can find that's off the beaten path. Like Jarquavius Quan, uh, Jarquavius Quan Martin from Illinois, another guy. You go on YouTube and you can find something. Like for Martin, it was this dunk contest he was in. It was sick. Zach Kuntz, there's a video of him in high school, 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, At the time, he's like 220, 225, something like that. He's running the 110 high hurdles in the Pennsylvania State Championship and smoking all these small dudes. I mean, just smoking them. And it just looks so weird. It's like, there's Goliath, and then there are all these little Davids. And he's just smoking them all. I'm like, what is this guy? And I just think he is a pass catcher. He's phenomenal. Zach Coots from Old Dominion would be uh, definitely one of those guys. Dude, I saw him at the Myrtle Beach Bowl. I saw, I, so we, we Tulsa played ODU in the Myrtle Beach Bowl in 21. Now, he did not yeah. he did not have a great game at all, but like you were talking about earlier with Tyree, like that dude walked onto the field, and I just kind of looked at the person next to me. I'm like, who the bleep is that? Right? Like that's the first thing that comes to mind when you just see like his stature. And then you see – not like a lumbering guy, just how much of a physical freak and effortless motion and movement that he has at his size. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it's incredible to watch that dude move. Uh, I'll give you my, my final one. In fact, I think I'm probably too low on him. And that's um, the edge defensive end from Missouri, Isaiah McGuire. I was really excited to see McGuire when we got to Mobile, the senior bowl. And I hadn't watched him much. I had him down to watch him. I didn't watch him much during the season. I didn't watch too much Missouri. And I didn't see him much. But I was like, okay, I, I, I want to see him. I've heard a lot about him. I want to see McGuire at the Senior Bowl. I watched him at the Senior Bowl, and I walk away going, ah, man, I don't see it. Like, what does everybody see? I, I don't know, man. I don't get this. But I'm always willing to give a guy a second chance. I mean, that's the right way of saying it. But I want to give a guy a good viewing and, and a fair shot. So – I'm like, all right. So I asked our film department, give me a couple of Missouri games. They gave it to me. And I'm like, that's a different guy. Like, where was this in Mobile? I'm like, this guy's one of the better power rushers with some speed and some twitch. Like, I like this guy a lot. I'm like, okay, let's go to the next game. Doing the same thing. Then I pull up the Georgia game. And he cooked Broderick Jones. I mean, he worked Broderick Jones all night. One-on-one, it wasn't even fair. Uh, I was like, man, Jones is my top tackle. And he's doing this to him? I was like, man, Isaiah McGuire from out of Missouri. I've got him at 92 in my Harris 100, and I feel like I'm probably about 22 low. I think he's probably going to get into that second round. 
because he's a priority position, um, was a captain at Missouri. I just think that senior bowl man, was just, just an anomaly. He was kind of standing up doing some stuff. Maybe he should be hand out. I don't know. But I came out of there going, I think that was the anomaly. I think what I saw during the season and during those games was more right for Isaiah McGuire. So he's another guy that I would absolutely love uh, to see in Houston, depending on what we do with the first rounder, which I think is going to be an edge. But look, we need more guys. I don't think there's any question we need more guys. So I would take another Isaiah McGuire here in Houston for sure. John, uh, awesome stuff as always, man. Rest up those pipes because I know you got a long couple of days <laughs> coming up ahead of you. I can't thank you enough for uh, for jumping on with us here. By the way, uh, in, in any of your conversations that you've had with your new head coach, by the way, you guys are welcome uh, as a Niner fan. But for him to come back <laughs> home, for him to come back home, though, and, and really – understand about the culture of, of the Texans, I think is awesome. And I hope that everything that I've read so far is, is accurate about just how much of an energetic, like game changer that he's been to have inside the building, man. And I, I think that you guys have a very, very bright future uh, with him as your head coach. You know, Jeremy, it's interesting because when he was playing here um, from day one, his nickname was cap as in captain. And he was always known as cap. And I didn't really know him. Uh, I didn't get in the building until 2014 when he had already moved on um, and been traded to the Eagles. And I, in fact, was on the field when – this is when I knew that D'Amico Rimes was different. In 2014, he came back to Houston to play with the Eagles. Every single one of our guys, like, ran over to hug him before the game. In that game, he tore his Achilles. And it was, I think, his, his last game, I think, was that year. When he was on the cart, every single player from both sides ran on the field to go dap him up. Yeah. Give him five and tap him and get him dap him. I was like, that there's something there. Yep. I mean, we already knew it, but to see that, like, wow, they respect him. So, yeah, it's been uh, – I haven't had a chance to deal with too much. We had a couple interviews. I love the depth. Um, I think he's going to be great for the organization. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where very rarely do you have an NFL team and it's like if the coach tells the fans to jump, they're like, how high? You know, what do you want us to do, Coach? We'll do it. That's how much they believe in D'Amico Ryan. Now, you got to play the games, mm-hmm. and you got to be successful. But I think there's this belief from what the fans saw when he was a player, when, they, when he was nicknamed Cap, they know what they have. And I hope that's, uh, that's a sign of things turning around here before too long. John, you're the man. Thank you so much for all the time today, man. Rest up, and uh, we'll do this again soon, man. Always appreciate you. All right, JP, man. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you for having me. Awesome. That's uh, John Harris joining us here. FootballTakeover.com. Houston Texans, HoustonTexans.com. That guy knows his bleep, and that's why I bring him on. It's 301. Take a timeout. We'll come back. The Blitz mix will kick off after this timeout here on the Blitz 1170. Thank you for listening to this exclusive Blitz 1170 podcast from Bravado Wireless.